Let's turn our attention this morning now to the Gospel of John. We come now into John chapter 4 as we are making our way through the Gospel and uh, learning its lessons and seeing Jesus presented as the Son of God and Saviour of the world. Uh, I noticed this morning and made mention of it that uh, Grace down here was wearing a shirt with Coke on it, and, uh, which was intriguing because... Uh, the, you know, the Coca-Cola ads that we have seen for the years are very interesting, aren't they, if you think about it. Now, the company, Coca-Cola, knows that what they are selling is just a sugary drink. They, they know there's no value in it. It's there, it's a sugary drink with nothing of significance to us. So what they sell us is not a sugary drink. The ads they use to sell us Coke tell us that the drink is about something bigger something more important than just drinking a sugary drink. So over the years, Coca-Cola has advertised as quenching our thirst, but it's often advertised itself as quenching our thirst in the connection of friends. How many of you in the last few years have bought a bottle of Coke and seen your friend's name on that? Thought, I know who that is. I'm going to send them a picture and say, I'm having a Coke with my friend. They're connecting us with something, showing us that it's something bigger to it. For a while, the slogan of Coke was, open Coke, open happiness. So they were selling us something deeper. Christians, even through the uh, 70s and 80s, stole the slogan, it's the real thing, and added it to songs to talk about Jesus. So we could drink our Coke because it was the real thing and come to church and sing about Jesus, who was the real thing. So they've stolen these things and we've taken these things. Why do they spend all the money and all that time advertising this way? To tell us that something is not just a drink, but something that is more than that. They are trying to connect themselves to our satisfaction. And that's part of their Slogan. They want us to be find more than just a drink, but they want us, when we think of being satisfied, they want us to think of Coke, to be satisfied. They know that's what we all want. We all want to be satisfied. So if they can connect themselves to that most deeply held uh, uh, desire of us to be satisfied, then when we need to be satisfied, we're going to reach for an ice-cold can of Coke. Nobody wants to feel like their life is a waste. Nobody wants to feel like their life is empty or hopeless or wasted. We want to know satisfaction. We want to have a life that seems fulfilling, that says is full. But for far too many people, Christians including, satisfaction seems elusive in this world. We can never seem to find it, no matter how hard we look for it. We're going to read here in just one second John chapter 4, and there are so many lessons that we can learn from this event in John, including some of the lessons we've been singing in the songs we've sung this morning about a passion for souls or reaching the lost and the glory of God's salvation in the world. But all of the lessons we can see and all the things that we can draw from that, I think, revolve around the great statement and the great truth of verse 14. So as we read through this passage, be watching as we come to verse 14 
and through it. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again unto Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to drink water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto, that, unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this well shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the well that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when ye shall neither worship in this mountain, nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we come now to seek your wisdom, your will and your truth. Indeed, make your word come alive. May the Spirit have free course within our hearts to lead us, teach us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, so many of us feel unsatisfied in our life. Even Christians feel unsatisfied in our life. And it affects us at every age. 
and in different ways. Sometimes that dissatisfaction, depending on age or where we're at or what we are, we don't, we don't understand it or don't recognize the dissatisfaction, but it expresses itself in the way we act and the things we pursue. And so we pursue to find satisfaction in many different ways. Now let me give you a, a, a spoiler alert here for where we're going. Right? So you can tune out from now on because this is where we're going. Spoiler alert, Jesus can satisfy you. That's the theme of my sermon this morning. That's the aim and the purpose. In Jesus, we find soul-satisfying life. Soul-satisfying life. The question we're going to fulfill a little bit more this morning is how is that true and why is that true? That Jesus can indeed be soul-satisfying. So as we make our way through John chapter 4, we're going to try and answer that question at least a little bit this morning. And it begins at this first thought that Jesus seeks to give life. Jesus seeks to give life. Our passage begins here at the beginning of verse 1. It says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again, into Galilee. Now, one of the things we see when we start talking about why Jesus came and, and what he came to do, it is without question that Jesus knew his purpose. Jesus knew why he was here. He knew his purpose. And he was not going to be distracted by controversy or other things around. He knew why he was here and he was going to do that and not get distracted, and not get sidetracked by a thousand other things that he could do. Which is why even sometimes we see Jesus in the midst of places where people need healing or need something, and Jesus says, no, I'm finished here. There are other things to do. He had a purpose he needed to pursue. There's so much talk about our satisfaction in life uh, centers around or comes back to this idea of us knowing our purpose for life. If we know what our purpose is for life, and if you fulfill your purpose in life, you will be satisfied. And that's true. The tricky part of that is finding your purpose, and understanding your purpose, and then finding that to fulfill it. But Jesus knew why he had come. He knew without question, without doubt, why he was there. Luke tells us, or records the words of Jesus like this. Jesus says he came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came. John tells us or records the words of Jesus in John chapter 10 and verse 10. He says, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give life. He came to give abundant life. And Jesus never let anything distract him from that purpose. And we see that here in this passage. Remember, we talked last week as we looked at the end of chapter 3 that Jesus and John are in the same area, baptizing and teaching there in the same area, and the, the Jewish leaders come and they try and stir up a little bit of question or problems amongst uh, John's disciples, and John points them back to Jesus. And it seems, as we look here at the beginning of verse 4 again, that the Jews are still stirring this up. They're still trying to, to see what's going on and stir the pot a little bit here about who Jesus is and what he is, is doing. And they're drawing attention to Jesus and what he is doing, 
trying to draw him out. It's very possible that because of what Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom and that John has been pointing to Jesus about being the Messiah, that they're trying to draw Jesus into a political argument. Are you the king? Are you trying to take people away from Israel? What do, they, what do you, you intend to do here and draw a political movement? And Jesus has no interest in being drawn into a political movement. So because he doesn't want to... Uh, agitate anymore because he doesn't want to get distracted by disagreements which may appear between him and John and the, the Pharisees as they stir things up, Jesus leaves. He leaves the area because of the Jews. Because it was not his time. It was not his time to stand up like this. It was not his time to fight with the Pharisees. Say, so, but wasn't Jesus the Messiah? Yes, he was. Wasn't Jesus preaching the kingdom of God? Yes, he indeed was. But the message of the kingdom and the message that Jesus has been preaching was bigger than a political movement. It was larger than just what it meant for Israel, but, but it expanded far beyond that. There will be times when Jesus engages the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time, but this isn't the time for that. This is a time for something else. Illustrating that point is how this passage ends. Almost every time somebody comes to Jesus and is healed or finds an answer to him and they say, we're going to go proclaim who you are, Jesus says, don't tell anyone who I am. But here, one of the very few and one of the very rare occasions where someone recognizes who he is and as verse 26 shows us, Jesus himself says, I am the one you're looking for. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. So because Jesus knew his purpose, Jesus pursued his purpose with intent. Verse 4 continues, because he's leaving Judea and heading toward Galilee, and he must need to go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a, a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. When we think about Jesus and we think about him pursuing his purpose and knowing his purpose, one of the things that is certainly very clear about the way Jesus works, and, and we see it through John chapter 3 and continuing through 4 and, and on, is Jesus is compelled by love. He is compelled to pursue his purpose in love. It is love, we see in John chapter 3, verse 16, that sent Jesus, that moves him in every detail. He must pursue his purpose with singular focus. He cannot get distracted by anything else and by any other ideas. This is why he came, and he came in love. So in that singular focus, he will move through his life here. Now, it tells us that in verse 4, Jesus must go through Samaria. 
And it's often thought, and sometimes devotions and things like that tell us that this was an unusual route to be taken that typically the Jews would go around Samaria, either by the, across the river or along the coast. And that was true, but only if you were a very, very strict Jew. Because the journey around was so much longer. So the normal route for most Jewish people was, in fact, to pass through Samaria, even though they despised the Samaritans, because it saved them so much time. However, passing through Samaria, they would make sure that they didn't really, unless they absolutely have to, stop in any of the towns, visit with any of the people, or be touched by them, because if they did, that would be defiling. So they took the shorter route, and they would take it quickly. So despite the fact that this is the normal route for most Jews, there is still significant unusual things that we see Jesus do here. One of those significantly unusual things is him stopping where he was, speaking with the woman, but also the fact that his disciples go into a town to buy food from Samaritans. These are all things which are out of the ordinary for the Jew as they would pass through Samaria. So while we may be able to read and he must needs go through Samaria, simply that's the way we go, there does seem to be within the text a sense of uh, compelling and urgency in the way Jesus goes through this. Is this the way he would go? Yes, but there's a reason he's going now and there's a reason he's going to stop and allow what takes place to come. This is a journey with purpose. The purpose wasn't just to get to Galilee. The purpose was to get to this woman. That's the purpose of his journey. He is compelled by love, and in being compelled by love, he is compelled to reach all people. While this was a normal route, some unusual things do take place, and one of those is that Jesus reaches out to this Samaritan woman. Almost everything about this interaction that Jesus has with this Samaritan woman is out of the ordinary wonderful truth exposed in John's uh, placing Nicodemus, the story of Nicodemus in chapter 3, right next to the story of this woman in chapter 4, is we see the beauty and glory of God's purpose and how he reaches it out. In chapter 3, we see Jesus reaching out to uh, and, and speaking with Nicodemus, who is a well-educated Jewish man, wealthy respected in his society. He is Jewish. He is the one that expected the Messiah to come to him. Everything about that conversation is respectable and in some ways expected because he is the Jewish leader seeking truth from another Jewish leader trying to come to understanding about Jewish thought. But the Samaritan woman is in fact clearly a woman. Being a Samaritan, she is of mixed race so the Samaritans came and they were, were planted by the Assyrians from all different places into there after they uh, drew out the area and took them into captivity. And then as the years passed, we ended up with this very mixed race in Samaria there, which is why the Jews hated them so deeply. So she's a woman of mixed racial background. She is unlearned. 
She is despised by her own community. She is not from Jerusalem or any well-known, respected town. She's from a small, little town in the middle of the country. You remember that when we looked at John 3, verse 16, it told us that Jesus came to be the saviour of the world, and that is not just the Jews. Not just for respectable people of the world. But he came to save a people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every language. And that's what we see here. Jesus reaching beyond the borders of respectable Jewishness and reaching into places that was not expected. The wonderful part of this, of how it all happens and how it works, is that Jesus is the one who initiates the conversation. Jesus ventures into Samaria to meet a Samaritan woman and does not wait for the Samaritan woman to approach him because that's not likely to ever happen. Jesus initiates this conversation with her. He is seeking her. It's also a good reminder to us as we watch Jesus work this way with purpose, that he initiates this conversation with the woman who in most likelihood was never going to initiate a conversation with him, is that we need to take the initiative in our own relationships and in our own world. We need to be proactive in sharing the gospel. We cannot wait for people to come to us we believe the truth, as we will see over and over again through John, that God draws people to himself. But the way that God draws people to himself is in large part by God's people reaching out and sharing the gospel to all those around us with initiative, with responsibility, being proactive. Another of the wonders here is Jesus' deliberate breaking of boundaries for the sake of the gospel. It was inappropriate for him to speak to this woman without her husband being present. She was also a Samaritan. That was not appropriate either. Now, she, the Samaritan woman, knew what a big deal this was. She knew that when Jesus spoke to her and drew her into a conversation, this was bigger than just some casual conversation. Something different was happening here. So verse 9, she says, Then the woman of Samaria unto, said unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. The phrase, no dealings with the Samaritans, was often, uh, and in other literature, and, and translated, for the Jews don't use the utensils of the Samaritans. There's, you, you don't have a, a, a picture to draw with, so you're going to use mine, you're going to drink out of mine. Well, we all know the relationship between Jews and Samaritans is if you drink out of my pot, you'll be considered defiled. So this woman knew the significance here, that this was something big, something unusual here. It's a reminder to see the world the way God sees the world. 
that God does not see the world in country boundaries and races and ethnicities and languages. God sees the world as all people equal in the eyes of God who are all equally under the condemnation of God for sin and is reaching people from every tribe and nation. Jesus seeks to give life. Jesus seeks not just to give life, but Jesus seeks to give satisfying life. Verse 10, as the conversation continues, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoever drinks of this well shall thirst again. But whoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. As they talk and as this conversation uh, moves through and, and begins its conversation, we find that Jesus, sorry, I've missed all those things, didn't I? Jesus makes a, look, just listen, my slides are a little out. That's my fault, so just, that's all right. Jesus tells us here as the conversation begins As she is seeking water, he is the living water. He is the water that she desperately needs. And this living water that Jesus describes here and that Jesus talks about has a number of, of features in contrast to the physical water that she is there for at this well. The difference between the physical water that she is drawing and the living water that Jesus is going to give is that this living water comes by asking for it. So like Nicodemus, Jesus begins their conversation talking about being born again and uses that picture and that idea to lead Nicodemus into a realm of spiritual conversation Jesus does the same here. You're looking for water. Let me give you a water that will never leave you thirsty. And he takes a normal conversation and he draws it into the spiritual. They connect over the need for physical sustenance, for physical water. And in that connection, Jesus offers living water. Therein is a good lesson for us in our evangelism efforts, in our desire to share the gospel. What connects you to a person can also be the very thing that leads you into a conversation of the spiritual nature. What is it you're both there seeking? What is it you're both looking for? What is it that you both want or desire? What is it that has connected you? And how can that connection be used to draw our attention upwards to the spiritual? 
I said the difference here is between this physical water and the spiritual water. The physical water, which the woman reminds Jesus of, is a, is a water which comes by effort. It says you need to come and you need to draw this water. You have to get down. The well is deep. You need to go down there and you need to pull it up. To get this water requires effort. But Jesus tells the woman here that the water he is offering doesn't require effort. But says, if you wanted the water I could give you, ask me. Ask me for the water. Notice the asking is based on an understanding. So verse 10 says, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. It comes by asking. See, anyone can dig a well. But only Jesus can give a spring of life. She asks him a question. Do you think you are greater than Jacob who dug this well? Do you think you're greater than his children who kept this well? And Jesus' answer is, yes. I am greater than Jacob. I am greater than those that followed him. The, wa the water that Jesus gives, this satisfying life he is asking, is living water, which comes by asking... But we also find, as we look in verse 14, where we find so much of what this water is, is that this water quenches your thirst. We began talking about Coke. And I'm a terrible example of this, because when you, know, when you get working or playing and you get hot and sweaty and you feel like a drink, and you see an icy cold can of Coke, it looks refreshing. You think, I just want to drink that down and it's going to be uh, refreshing and satisfying. But typically what happens is, and, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, you take that icy cold can of Coke and you drink it down and you feel like you're going to be refreshed and then you find out, I'm still thirsty. It didn't actually do anything for me. I guess I better have the water because the water is what I need. The water is what is actually going to satisfy the thirst all those things we're chasing for in this world are like Coke. They look like they're going to satisfy. We think they're going to satisfy. And for a moment, they do. But they never really satisfy because they're not what we need. What we need is Jesus. We need Jesus. Only Jesus can quench the desire within us that we're so longing to fill. The water that Jesus gives comes by asking. The water that Jesus gives quenches your thirst. And thirdly, in this regard, the water that Jesus gives is a renewing source. It says it shall be a well and a spring. It just keeps giving. It bubbles up within your life. It doesn't run empty. It is a renewable and renewing resource. He is a well that never runs dry. And in him, he tells her, you will never thirst. Never thirst. 
Okay, so here we're getting the picture again that this isn't just something he is offering for us at a moment in salvation. Here is what is going to quench your need now as you struggle with your guilt or as if you struggle with your sin. He's saying, no, here is what I'm going to offer you. Here is what you need, which is not just going to quench you now and ease your guilt and ease your shame, but this is going to be what will feed you your entire life. You will never thirst with Jesus. He is a constantly renewing source of life. We are longing for satisfaction. We're longing for satisfaction, but we're looking in all of the wrong places. So as Jesus tells her, I can give you this living water and you will never thirst. Here is how she responds verse 15, the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. We're looking for that satisfaction and we're looking for this, this never thirsting in the wrong places. He is what we long for, what we seek, what we need. And so after Jesus says, I can give you living water and you will never thirst, she is still thinking of her temporal need. I can give you water and you will never thirst. And she says, give me this water so I won't be thirsty and so I don't ever have to come out to this well again. She is still thinking of what in our modern society we call felt needs. The need that she sees in her life now. I don't want to have to keep coming out to this well I don't want to have to keep being thirsty. If I can have somebody who will meet my need and make it so I don't have to keep coming out here in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, constantly walking all the way out here, carrying the water all the way back, that's what I want. That will satisfy me. But it's temporal need. She's still seeing temporal need. If Jesus gives me a well, I don't have to make this long trip and drag up water. And the truth is, this is how most people see Jesus. And tragically, this is how many churches have taught people to see Jesus. That he will meet the need we have now. We want Jesus as an answer to our temporal need, our crisis of the moment. We still too often think that if Jesus fixes my problem, I will be satisfied. If Jesus fixes what bugs me now, I'll be satisfied. If Jesus fixes what torments me now, I'll be satisfied. But then when he does, we realize that we're still not satisfied. Because when that issue disappears, or when that issue is resolved, or when God works in our life and fixes that issue and takes that issue away, the next issue comes along and we're dissatisfied again. God, you said I'd be satisfied. You fixed this in my life, and now here I am, here's something else. I'm dissatisfied again. Because we're looking at the wrong thing in the wrong place. And so again, we ask Jesus, fix my problem, and I'll be satisfied. 
and then we're not again. And then we wonder, why do I live my life in dissatisfaction? We're looking in the wrong places. And part of the reason we look in the wrong places is because we are bound by our sin. So Jesus pushes the conversation a little deeper here. She says, give me this water so I don't have to come back. Jesus says, let's, let's think about this more. Let's pursue this more deeply. And so he asks her a question. Bring your husband. Which may have been, at first, a reference to her to say, look, we shouldn't be talking like this. The standard procedure is women are not allowed to be taught or talked to on their own, so bring your husband and we can, we can do this officially, properly here at the well. Of course, she has to confess, I don't have one. And Jesus draws out here some of the details of her life which she needs to know, which she needs to address and understand. He is here not being judgmental and not being condescending by trying to point out how, how horrible she is or, because that's what her society has been doing. So Jesus isn't here trying to be condescending or judgmental to him. He is exposing to her what is keeping her dissatisfied. What is it that keeps you from finding what you need? She is a woman who has suffered tragedy and loss. She's had five husbands. Maybe they have died and maybe it's through divorce. We have no idea of knowing how that was or what it is. But regardless, clearly there is a pattern and there is a, a history in her life of tragedy and loss. Which has led her to the place where now she is certainly living in a place of sin. The one she is with is not her husband. And so she has to recognize, yes, I have a pattern of, of tragedy and loss and heartache behind me. And perhaps in my search for, for longing and significance, I've tried to find that somewhere else. But we don't want to psychologize this and look into her mind. All we know is Jesus is drawing out here and saying, something is wrong. We need to find what that is. She's in a circumstance she knows she shouldn't be in. She can't find satisfaction from the guilt and the pain of her past. And the likelihood is that she is there in the middle of the day because of the shame of her life. All of these things find her in a life of dissatisfaction, bound by sin. And so Jesus draws this out and we get those details there in verse sort of 16 through 19. Verse 19, the woman perceptively says, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers, verse 20, worshipped in this mountain and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. There is certainly here some confusion by religion. But it seems, doesn't it, that this statement here is a deflection. Jesus draws out something of her life, something deeply personal. And instead of pursuing the personal, she does what so many of us do and deflects to a bigger, different issue. 
you have issues in your life, you have problems in your life that need to be addressed and where you're at now, you know you shouldn't be. Ah, but we worship in different ways. We really have different religions and we follow different things. And so she takes it from the personal and, and kind of deflects and don't we often sometimes do that? When things get too heated, when things get too personal, we push to somewhere else. Ah, but look at them. Or, but what about this doctrine? Doesn't God say this about that? And so we deflect from the personal to something where we don't have to think so deeply, so personally about what it is. And religion will do that to us constantly and confusing us because religion didn't bring her satisfaction. It just caused her confusion. The Samaritans, because they only believed the first five books of the Old Testament, believed that worship should be done at Mount Gerizim. The Jews, they took the whole of the Old Testament and they knew that God had brought worship to Jerusalem. You say here, we say there. Either way, none of us really get satisfaction out of it. But Jesus... Jesus makes sense of life. Jesus makes sense of life. In verse 21, Jesus continues, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither worship in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. And here's the kicker. Ye worship, ye know not what. External ritual is empty. You follow the rules. Both were places of worship. But the place of worship was never the point. She was told Gerizim, the Jews were told Jerusalem. Neither was satisfied, despite the fact that salvation came through the Jews because of Jesus, because of what God had done through them, they still weren't satisfied. The Samaritans and their mixed up conglomeration of all sorts of things were dissatisfied. Both were still trying to please God and find God. That's true even though God would provide salvation the way he did. So we follow the rules, but we don't know why. Says, you worship here, they worship there. You don't know what you're worshiping. You don't know, know what you're seeking. Jesus' points, point was you, you go through all the rituals, you obey all of the rules, you do all of the worship, you serve and you sacrifice and you do all this. But do you know why? Why? The same might be asked of us. We do all the service. We read our Bible. We come here on Sundays and Wednesdays and, and we do the things that we think. But why? Why are you here is the same question. What is it all for? You're trying to live a good life. You're trying to be kind. You're trying to be a good citizen or do all those things we think. But why? Maybe you follow all the rules of your religion, even Christianity. 
but why? Jesus tells us as he continues in verse 23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. True worship is satisfying. External ritual is empty. True worship is satisfying. Jesus tells us in verse 23 there that God is seeking worshipers. That's what he's here for. God is seeking worshipers. Why is he seeking? He is seeking for people to worship him. That is what it is all about. God is not seeking obedient soldiers who just do what they're told and follow the rules. He is seeking people that truly worship, that genuinely worship. That is what evangelism is about. That is what discipleship is about, making worshipers of God. That's why we share the gospel, so that people will truly worship God. Now, worshipers will be obedient servants, but being an obedient servant doesn't make you a worshiper, if you understand what I mean. True worship will lead to a life of service. But just because you're serving doesn't mean you're worshipping. That's why we can live in a society that is so busy and still so empty. Because Jesus tells us worship rises from within. Not from the external, not from what we do. He says worship in spirit, which is worship from the heart. Not from the externals. The externals is empty, but true worship comes from within. True worship isn't about doing the right things. True worship rises from within in the spirit. Our worship, our satisfaction doesn't start with what I do, but it starts with what God has done. Worship is my response to a God who satisfies my soul. Worship is a heartfelt response founded in the truth of who Jesus is. And so this brings us to our final thought as it draws all of this together, and that is this. Only Jesus satisfies our longings. He says to this woman, yet some say worship Mount Gerizim, some say in Jerusalem. It doesn't really matter because no matter where you worship, you don't know what you're worshiping. So verse 25 says, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. So here, she is expressing something which is deeply within all of us. That is, she is looking for someone to make sense of it all. Jesus says, you worship here, they worship there, but you don't know what you're worshipping for. And she says, I know, I'm just waiting for the one who's going to make sense of it all. When the Messiah comes, he'll tell us what we should have been doing. 
He'll make sense of everything that's going on. And that's how so many people are living their life. We're searching for satisfaction. We're searching for someone or something to just make sense of it all. Why? Why is life the way it is? Why do I worship? Why do I try to do the good things? What is all of this about? And we're looking in every place we possibly can without satisfaction to find someone who will make it all make sense. Where are you looking? How are you hoping to find satisfaction? So Jesus answers her statement. I that speak unto thee am he. I'm just looking for someone to make sense of it all. I am. Jesus is the one who makes sense of it all. Everything we wonder and all the confusion we have, Jesus says... I am the one who makes sense of it all. I'm what you're looking for. I'm what you need. Jesus is the only one who can make sense of this life. Jesus is the only one who can make sense of the life that is to come. You are not going to find satisfaction in working. You are not going to find satisfaction in doing good or finding the perfect soulmate for life or following the religious rituals of whatever religion you want to choose to follow, you're not going to find satisfaction in any of those things. They may fill your longing for a moment, but they will soon find themselves to be unsatisfying. Jesus is the only one that satisfies, the only one that makes sense of everything, the only one that gives purpose. The only one who can truly say, drink of me and you will never thirst. Believer, that is not just true for the unsaved. That is true for you. Jesus satisfied your need for salvation and that satisfaction flows in your soul. Jesus came to give life, eternal, abundant, glorious, satisfying life. How can you have this life? Believe the one who is offering it. Believe that Jesus, the Son of God, came to forgive you of your sin, to free you from your guilt and the shame of your past to set you free. Look to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Believe Jesus. And as I've said, believer, Jesus says that the life he gives is like a spring of life, satisfying so we never thirst if the tragedy is how many believers are living lives unsatisfied and empty. Why is that? Because we've fallen into the old traps of 
seeking satisfaction in all the wrong places. Working harder. If I just do a little bit more, I'll find what I'm looking for. Serving more. Doing all the right things. We believe the lies of the guilt and the shame of our life. I've said to those who don't believe, look to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Believer, I say the same thing to you. Look to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Believe Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? You will never thirst. Believe him. Be worshipers. Worship God. We were reminded of this on Friday evening. Psalm 103 in verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, or worship him, honor him, adore him, give him his praise. O my soul, from within, and forget not all of his benefits. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to your word. We thank you for taking the time to meet this woman, to speak with her, to draw her out of her state of lostness in sin, to find satisfaction in you. And I pray today, dear God, that the testimony of this woman may have reached into the lives of some here that need to know you as their saviour, that they too would be able to see you are what they need to be satisfied in every respect. Dear God, bring people to yourself. And may we as the people of God be reminded that when we trusted Jesus as our Savior, we were given a spring of living water. Help us not to look anywhere else for our satisfaction, but to the one who saved us and called us to himself. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.